Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. A fierce unrest sees at the core of all existing things. It was the eager wish to soar that gave the gods their wings. From what flat waste of cosmic slime, and stung by what quick fire, sunward the restless races climb, men risen out of mire. There throbs through all the worlds that are, this heartbeat hot and strong, and shaken systems star by star, awake and glow in song. Before the urge of this unrest, the joyous spheres were mute. But for the rebel in his breast, had man remained a brute. When baffled lips demanded speech, speech trembled into birth. One day the lyric word would reach from earth to laughing earth. When man's dim eyes demanded light, the light he sought was born. His wish a titan scaled the height and flung him back the morn. From deed to dream, from dream to deed, from daring hope to hope, the restless wish, the instant need, still lashed him up the slope. I sing no governed firmament, cold ordered regular. I sing the stinging discontent that leaps from star to star. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Main Street Universe. We'll be right back. Our guest is Mr. Orion Foxwood. He's the author of a few books, including what I was just reading from. It was a poem by Don Marquis, and it was in his book, The Tree of Enchantment. Join us in our circle. Here's our friends, Woven Green. Episode of Main Street Universe, the show and network reminding you that the mysteries and possibilities of the universe are closer to Main Street than you may have ever imagined. Now tonight, 
We have our guest, Orion Foxwood, and we will bring him on very shortly, right after some show plugs, some network plugs. This one, of course, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, soon in a couple weeks to be returning to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, the flagship show, the one that started it all, Main Street Universe. It was myself and Kevin Baird, and now it's myself and associate producer Janice R. White, as Brett Hillman is taking a brief absence for a while. Welcome, Janice. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. And Janice is as well the hostess of the World Reggae Party, of which we'll probably be getting uh, replays of that back here on Main Street Universe, as well as a women's spirituality show at some point. So, we also have, on Thursdays at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, Queen Mother Imaku with her show Uwaptau. It's all about the comedic African-Egyptian tradition. Some people do forget that Egypt is, in fact, in Africa. Africa. So it's original language prayers and all sorts of different things. Great show. Lots of information in one hour, one of our AM shows. Friday, for now, in the mornings, Kevin Baird, I think he moved it up to five in the afternoon. Uh, Kevin is the creator of the Horizon Oracle. He created his own Oracle cards after being a tarot reader for years. Kevin can be found at www.templeofgaia.com. He's also an artist, and I'm staring at a work of his art right here. Oh, I like that one. The smoke? liquid, or the frozen, I'm sorry, frozen smoke, it's yeah. called. It's kind, of, it's kind of like cloud staring. You stare at it, and it's black on white cloud-looking things, and you make different shapes out of it. It's kind of a nice thing to sort of meditate and stare at with a little candle. So if you don't have any clouds... You can have frozen smoke if you have one of those hanging on your wall. So www.templeofgaia.com to check out everything, all things Kevin Baird. And then Friday later that evening at midnight, we have Activating Compassion in the Midnight Hour with our hostess, Miss Jessie Ann Nichols George and all four of her names. And soon <laughs> she's going to be interviewing Mr. John Anderson, the lead singer from the band Yes, if everybody remembers the progressive rock band Yes. They were scheduled for March 21st, and they said they have to wait till after the tour, but they've said definitely they're going to reschedule and make that happen. It was an interesting meeting because Jesse used to own a New Age shop near where John Anderson and his wife lived and befriended his wife, and that was the connection through which we were able to go to the wife, right? Yes, go to the wife. <laughs> so, you know... John, you should go on their show. Okay, okay. <laughs> so anyway, Activating Compassion in the Midnight Hour. Jesse's the author of four books, including Activating Compassion, its companion workbook, and You, Me, Life, Dreams, the new one, and its companion workbook. So check out Jesse Midnight right here on the Main Street Universe radio network, Blog Talk Radio. Then Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we have Mr. Darren Bucare. Darren is... A palm, palm reader, tarot reader at Marie Lovo's House of Voodoo in the magical city of New, New Orleans. Orleans, Louisiana. Yesterday was Fat Tuesday. That's right. And I still have some of my beats from your yes. <laughs> party over the, yes. Yes, my little last week. Yes, my little party that was last Saturday. That's right. It was like a Fat Tuesday slash birthday party, right? All in one? Yeah. All in one. So, <clears throat> 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Darren Bucare. Check it out. He's a great reader. He has a very interesting style and a lot of personality. Good for radio readings. <laughs> and Monday evenings at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, our newest host, 
Mr. Randy Goldberg, who is a Vedic astrologer who has been featured on NPR, CNN, I believe, and the Washington Post. So he's gotten some interesting attention over the last few years. Randy has a show now with us. It's been about about a month now, and it's called Science of Light. So Science of Light Mondays at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Then on Tuesdays, we have Miss Susan Weed, the herbalist expert, as well as discussing issues of women's health and psychology, sorry, (coughs) that's something in my throat, of medicine and taking control of your own healing. As she always says, herbal medicine is people's medicine. The show is called Green Magic, Green Medicine. The hostess is, well, myself, I, I help her with it, and then it's Susan Weed. So be sure to check that out. And that makes up all of the shows on the Main Street Universe radio network. So now we will get to our guest, someone who is an author of quite a few books, including Tree of Enchantment, which is the one I have here and was reading from, and The Candle and the Crossroads. And he has another one about uh, fairy seership. We're going to go ahead, and as I say, instead of me talking about him, I will have him talk about him. Welcome, Orion Foxwood, to Metro Universe. Welcome, Orion. Well, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks for being here. Now, Orion, we're going to start right off with Miss Janice, someone that you actually know and have met before. Yeah. As, uh, oh, more, yes. Uh, known her, the more connected I realize that she is. <laughs> when I first met her, <laughs> someone Hey, why don't you have Janice do the show with you? I'm like, hmm, because I was like, I might have to explain to her what a pagan is, because I had no idea. No, Janice is wonderful people. I've known her a long time. So I'm going to start off. Um, we split up the books. Your wonderful publisher decided to send us two books: uh, the Tree of Enchantment and the candle and the crossroads. So I gave the tree of enchantment to Daniel, and I kept the candle on the crossroads. So we're going to talk about that first, and then we're going to talk right. about the tree of enchantment. Then we'll talk about some current events that are coming up, like sacred space. Um, you're going to be teaching there this month, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that so you can plug it and some other things. So how does that sound? Absolutely. Sounds wonderful. Okay, cool. Now, The Candle on the Crossroads, uh, a book to Appalachian Conjure and and Southern Root Work. Well, this is all about hoodoo, or from what I read about, and I almost finished it. I'm just about maybe a chapter from finishing it. Um, But to our listeners who don't know anything about Conjure, what is hoodoo actually? Well, um, Jenny, actually the word hoodoo wasn't used so much in the area I came from. Uh, they, they just used more of the word spirit, doctoring, and occasionally conjure and root work. Um, basically, but, but hoodoo was used in other places throughout the South. What, uh, what the book is about is a, a particular stream of Southern uh, American Southern folk magic. Um, throughout America, there is um, a body of magical uh, and spiritual practices that grew out of the synergy of 
um, African practice via the slave trade, you know, unfortunately. Um, and uh, it's uh, intersect with local Native American traditions, then European uh, folk traditions, including uh, folk Christianity, uh, and then, you know, in other places, uh, even Catholicism. And so what you see with this form of folk magic is it shifts and changes depending on where you're at in the South. So it's what tribe of African people were in that particular area, what Native American tribes, was it Protestant, was it um, uh, Catholic, was it uh, uh, you know, French, Spanish, English, Scottish, Irish, um, and then uh, it continued to grow after the Emancipation Proclamation and then even the Reformation um, as folks were moving from south to north looking for jobs. So the stuff I wrote about uh, initially was influenced by the folk culture I grew up in, actually not that far from where y'all are from, or at now in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia and then in West Virginia and then... Um, you know, folk magic I continued to learn in the South, you know, even further South. Hoodoo, however, as a word, is primarily used in the African-American community, but not everywhere, not everywhere. Uh, My experience is it's used more wherever the Mississippi River is. Um, In fact, some workers, um, some conjure workers, call the Mississippi the Hoodoo River. Mm. Um, mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They call it the Hoodoo River. There's a lot of conjecture about really where that word comes from. And for real, I don't think anyone's entirely figured that out. I mean, there's there's stabs at it where that comes from. Um, my stuff was a little bit more... Um, uh, it was like, like the Hoodoo work is a little more Congo-influenced. My work was a little more um, uh, Igbo... And Yoruba, a little bit more Yoruba and Igbo influence, because that's what the trade was uh, more down in the valley there. Um, so that's sort of the the quick but not so short version of what it's kind of what it is at its core. Okay, I always thought personally that hoodoo was kind of like voodoo light, and when you mentioned the Congo, then you know that makes me also think a little bit more about it being kind of like. Uh, we do light. Now, I know I have people disagree with me, especially on Facebook, but that's how it seems to me. But there's been no clue, no clear definition of hoodoo at all. So I agree with you. Well, I'll t- um, honestly, uh, Janice, I think where it gets confusing is because you have two words that are sort of hoodoo, right? You know, the word voodoo itself, of course, is totally an American word. Um, yeah. Uh, derived from Vudown, you know, from an older an older word. And in fact that word itself originally shows up in New Orleans. Hoodoo, um where voodoo is got a uh, clear African um spiritual um pantheon and practice, um, you know, with the Loas um uh and the, these divine spirits, hoodoo tends to actually be very Christian in its uh, religious sort of religious spiritual language and, and not use the the loas and all of that so hoodoo's entirely folk magic and and very christian uh with the you know what i mean with that undergirding 
uh, African influence. So it definitely was was European influenced as well, and that's where the the Christian overlay is. Yeah. Well, you answered yeah. one of my questions, uh, but I don't have to repeat it because you had answered it. So. Um, oh well, good. Yeah. Well, not good that you don't have to answer, but good that I'm answering the question. That's a good thing. Um, <laughs> So how long has Southern um, Conjure work been around? I know you had said it had began when the slaves that came here went past the Amation Proclamation, and I probably murdered that word, and, yeah, <laughs> and beyond. So it's been here for 500 years, 600 more? Uh, really, you know, in different forms. It's been here ever since the slave trade. So it's been here since really the 1700s through the 1800s. Um, what you what you see, and and again, it's so it's so hard sometimes to answer some of these questions because there's not a broad, no broad answer will actually be correct because it looks different. So so for instance, if you said you know, hey Ron, the Southern the folk magic, the southern folk magic you grew up in, how long has it been there? Well it's been there as long as the uh the colonists when they came in, you know, in like the seventeen hundreds and then bringing in um the uh African people, you know, and then the late seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, um and then of course uh, a quality of it was there as long as the Native American people were there. So it's a it's a syncretic practice, um, and so it's been in America for a, you know a few hundred years. So this is not a new phenomenon at all. What's not? No, not at all. And and Janice, I have to say, whenever I speak about root work or conjures, uh, Southern folk magic, folks. The listeners have to understand that this, sadly, was born out of sorrow. And it's very crucial that folks hear that and give reverence and respect um, to the people who were forcibly um, brought you know, to this country and who formed the bedrock of these practices. And so um, I just had to say that, you know, out of respect for you know, for where this really comes from. But, you know, but now having said that, I, I like what some of my elders said growing up, you know, where I picked up a lot of the spirit work, the charm work, the crossroads work. Um, and what they said, I loved it, was uh, in terms of uh, the black community, the white community, et cetera, et cetera, they said, uh, well, my mom specifically, she goes, honey, we were all po, not poor, Poe, we couldn't afford the other OR. We were all Poe. <laughs> Did she really? <laughs> and so, so what happened is folks shared stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, people in difficult situations, and that's a part of the soulfulness. Like folks who read my my book, the Campbell the Crossroads book, I get a lot of emails where folks are like, "My God, Ron, it's very soulful." Mm-hmm. They're like it's very like from the heart and it's very soulful and I said well at least the way I grew up in it and then what I saw you know as I traveled um, throughout the South encountering other root workers um, you can't this is soulful because it was again born out of what happens what's left when poverty uh, the lash of the whip civil war 
when these horrors strip strip things to their bare, what's left, you know? And what's really left is your spirit. Yeah. I definitely agree yeah. with you. Yeah. So this so the next question is, um, I know about the Lilydale in upper state New York and places like that. So how similar is uh root work to um spiritualism of Lilydale and of other places? Um well, first of all, to all my spiritualists out there, my sisters and brothers, I love spiritualism. And the reason is so much uh, if, uh, conjure, uh, and then even so much folkloric witchcraft that came in from, you know, from Northern Europe, um, was able to have a voice um, and not have quite as much oppression because of spiritualism, because spiritualism, that movement gave permission to really kind of talk about um, our relationship to ancestral spirits, to spirits, um, in a direct and relational way without people going, oh, my God, it's the devil, or, you know, oh, my God, it's, mm-hmm. you know, something. It's very fashionable some, for a while. Yeah. It did. It really did. It really took root, because, and, and, you know, spiritualism started out in England, but it took root in America. And so, um, what? So there is a relationship, certainly as uh, after the emancipation, as you know, folks were looking for jobs. They took, you know, their traditions with them northward into, like, you know, um, the northern cities, you know, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, looking for jobs, and then, of course, encountering folks who were a part of a more northern movement that was also a part of relationship with the spirit world that was, um, you know, direct exchange, direct encounter, and that was sacred, you know, and not um, not ooga booga, not, you know. Because you have to understand, in, in the African and in the Native American and in the older European pagan practices, the world was animated. It was filled with spirits. And if you didn't think of the spirit world, let alone the ancestral spirit world, as distant at all. In fact, I'll tell you, um, the way folks relate to the spirits of the dead in modern culture is morbid. It's just, well, not even spirits of the dead, to the dead, but but to the African person, the native person, that would have been unheard of. You would have continued to work with ancestral spirits because they're the ones that walk with you. They're the ones you really have an investment in your life working out, you know, for the best. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that reminds me, when you said that, Orion, it reminds me of, there's a story, I forget its, its specific origin, but it was a Native American chief that was watching a, a Christian uh, service, a Christian ritual, and the guy goes, so what did you think of our religious ceremony? And the chief goes, I thought it was really nice. He goes, the, the difference is it, it, you were talking about God. He goes, in our ceremonies, we talk to God. And I always thought that was an insane. Mm, mm. See, that's gorgeous. That is so gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. You know, in fact, when I, when I wrote this book, you know, because both of the books, um, my, well, I should say both of the arenas, you know, the areas of work that I teach about, um, through those books, uh, fairy tradition and the uh, conjure practices, um, 
in many ways, even though they're coming in from two different angles, they're really aiming at the same thing. And that is that our world, our nature, everything about our human nature, everything about the nature around us comes from the invisible. And uh, and if we cannot, uh, you know, to not engage the invisible is to not engage the intimate. You know, we know that love arrives from an invisible place. It, we really ultimately can't say, okay, love's right there. That's that's where it came, right there. Love arrives and intimacy, you know, when we open to each other and something invisible flows between us, um, that the sensuality and the aliveness of life comes from the invisible, including the invisible within us. So both of those books in many ways have a a similar, I think people who read my books, they always say it, it, it has a common voice, even though the information might be different. Mm-hmm. But the common the common voice is a tap on the shoulder and saying, hey, come back to the whole family, you know. Yes. Well, come back to yourself. Absolutely. So could you explain, um, I'm going to bounce around because the first five questions you have are already answered. So I'm going to bounce around a little <laughs> um, Can you explain ancestral versus elemental paradox? And now, what was the first one, honey? I didn't hear the first words. Ancestral versus elemental paradox. Your ancestors? Oh, ancestral versus elemental. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um Ancestral paradox and elemental paradox are not two things that were in the folk tradition necessarily that I learned. Those were things that I discovered as I was applying the teachings and the work. And I would go in, y'all, and I would find um, I would find these broken places in our spirit, right? And I would say, what is it that sort of stands at the threshold between us and joy? Um, and I'm not saying us and everything being, you know, happy, lucky, and, you know, skittles fall now there and all that. But us in a, in a, in a state of uh, internal joy that's not contingent on an external thing. So I started looking at that. And the first thing that I found out was the ancestral paradox in um and that did come from an understanding that I learned from my elders about our relationship with the ancestors, that nobody gets into this life. Uh, you know, there's an old saying, nobody's born without bloodstains, meaning no one is born. You know, we can't get to this world but through our parents and through our ancestry. So we need blood. We need to come into genetics. But when we do that, we also inherit the beauty and the problems, you know, that's in that blood. And blood paradox is when the sort of the, the issues, the, the entanglements, the, the pain, you know, that is in the blood and in the culture that we're born into starts to show up in us. And we go, huh, what do I do with this? And then we start to, um, we have to unravel it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to... Uh, leave the blood better than we found it. And then elemental paradox, that's something totally that I discovered uh, as I was doing this work. So as I was like unearthing 
um, cultural and ethnic and, you know, family stuff, you know, like we all have, pain, uh, things from prior events, traumas, etc. But then there was this other thing that would show up, and that was, the best way I can describe it is expectations of my body. Like, like things that this vessel, this time, this life wanted, looked at, wanted unpacked, wanted dealt with. And so uh, that's, that's where the elemental paradox part came from. And that was, what are the elemental structures? What is the structures of my body wanting? Like right now, y'all, I'm dealing with something where blood and uh, body come together, and that's severe arthritis. So as I work with my spirit, oh, yes. So, uh, so as I go in, I'm finding out I have to ask my blood, my ancestors, hey, y'all, uh, you had this, and you had this, and you had this, so you passed this on to me. Number one, why did you pass it on? Number two, why was it important? Number three, why was slowing down important to you? Um, so there's that. And then I have to ask my body, why did you, body, agree to this? Why did you, you can have genetic predispositions, but why does your body agree to, um, you, you know, great. activate them? Uh-huh. Yep, yep. And I have to tell you, when I did that work, and I continue to do that work, the wisdom that has flowed out of that has been overwhelming. You know, I've discovered my ancestors, why they were like, you know, don't go too fast, don't raise your head too far, and that's very Appalachian, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, and so there's that. And then, of course, my body, which is saying, you're going too fast and you're not attending to my needs. So... I'm going to slow you down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, if if you watched me two years ago to now, you wouldn't believe it. I was on two canes, then one cane, and now no cane. And people are like, what are you doing? What's your doctor giving you? I said, this has nothing to do with my doctor. This This has to do with stopping and not being in resistance to my disease. This has to do with... Uh, the illness of being more like a pointing finger saying, hey, look here. Hey, go here. Look further. Pray pray into your knees. What's your knees say? If your knees have a mouth and your heart has ears, what are they saying? And that's where the healing came. Mm. And to me, that is doctoring the root at its best. You know, going to the root, going to the root. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry, did you say something? (laughs) Anyway, that does remind me of something, and also my knees actually was giving me an issue recently too, and I'm 43. But, uh, and it's so funny you mentioned that because the slowdown thing was exactly something I was thinking about one day. Because as Janice would tell you, I'm a very mobile person, and I'm a little bit fidgety and and if I usually stand when I do the show. I don't even sit he down. This is a lot. He moves a lot. <laughs> I don't think it like <laughs> You two are adorable. <laughs> and, you know, I tap my pencil. I'm just very mobile. And 
Um, but also, when I was younger, I had a lot. And I mean, I, I took care of my teeth, but it's genetic through my father's side. They're like macaroni noodles. They just break and fall out and cavities and pain, like torture chambers. You know what I mean? It was like, and it was, but at the same time, I realized and it's better now, and I've had you know some work done now, and it, things I've learned a lot, and that was exactly my point was that trial, and like you said, that ancestral trial because it's 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 inherent to some people in our family. Um, it taught it brought up my sparked up my interest in alternative medicine, which is something I'm insanely passionate about. And now we're blessed enough to have Susan Weed on our network, and I learned so much from her. Oh, she's so it, fabulous. So fabulous. Yeah, oh, yeah. We're very blessed to have her. And so it, I've learned a ton, basically, just trying to chase answers to why is this happening. I learned some things about it, you know. And it's been – and then it just sparked my interest in general in natural medicine, which enhanced everything yeah. else I was I was doing, you know. Uh, in the metaphysical world, because like the, that side of it wasn't my strong point. I was just more into like meditative states and things like that. Didn't know that much about the herbal side of things. But anyway, so that was kind of a lesson, and I wouldn't have maybe learned all of that had I not gone through that those painful experiences. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, our bodies, um, our bodies have things to say. I mean, our bodies are our most intimate partner in life. Mm-hmm. Our bodies is our trusted, constant friend. You know, and so if we stop and we go, huh, who am I without this body? And we know we continue, right? But we don't continue in this world. So we stop and we give homage to our bodies and say, huh, um, let me hear you. You know, what do you want to say? You know, what do you want to say? Why has this arrived in my body? And, um, you know, what, if I stop and listen, you know, if if my spirit, if my brain starts to hear what my heart wants to say, um, uh, I'll be better for it. We'll be, be, you know, we will be better for it. Mm-hmm. No. I'm having a conversation with the body, too, which is, you know, oh, yeah. um, oh, yeah. a very good thing to have. Is this also part of the interconflicts that you discussed about the illusion of isolation, the desire to possess, the resentment of change, and the desire for absolutes? Ooh, Janice, you, you just guided me right in the direction of probably what's the sounding call to all my work, really, is, ah. is those four things. Um, I call those the dampers on the blue flame of the soul. Right, and basically, what what I mean is, it what are the things that turn down the vibrance of our soul? So, and and those dampers um, direct how I work with people in the relationship with life itself. So there's the fairy work, you know, with the forces of life, with their place in life. Um, but in my conjure work, it directs me on what is this person's relationship um, again to life do they feel safe Um, and what is the song in their spirit and what's it calling to them so the illusion of isolation is the whopper Um, at the core of 
all human wounds um, is this abandonment pain, this feeling of being disconnected from the all that is, uh, this feeling of being exiled from the garden. Um, and, and in fact, I think what the Bible was kind of telling us is less that this happened, but more that we can feel that that happened. Like, like, in, like nature, if you talk to, if you go out and you merge spirits with a tree or a frog or some other spirit, you know, animal that's out there, um, they do not feel like they have to find their treeness, their frogness. But humans feel they have to find themselves. So humans have this thing that operates in us that makes us both wonderful and daunting at the same time. And that is free will. And free will is the ability to to choose, to step out of uh, inherent balance, to step out of instinct, and decide to be a unique expression in life. But the cost of that is if we get too intoxicated by our individuality, we forget we're a part of a bigger picture. We're a part of a source. We're a part of a... Um, we're a string in a greater pattern. And then the illusion of isolation and abandonment came, pain comes in. And then those other three, uh, the desire to possess comes in. Like, I can tell when folks are control freaks and they're like, I must possess the rules. I must... Um, make life predictable. It's because they're terrified that they won't be upheld by life if it's not. And so then the third one, the resentment of change, is when people go, oh my God, life changes. It's not predictable. There is no exact rule that says life works like this. And then they go back to the abandonment. And then they go, huh, well, uh, then... The only way I can feel okay, I can feel safe and valued, is to say, is to decide these are definitely the rules, and I'm right, and I'm the one with the rules, and that's where fundamentalism comes in. The more fundamentalist the person is when they walk into my office, like when people come to see me and they want a reading or they want mm-hmm. root work or they just want, uh, the more they're in that mode of sort of, um, they're stiff and they're, uh, as we call it, in the soul cage. They're going, uh, they're adamant that they're right about how life works and that um, others are very wrong and they're very mm-hmm. fundamentalist. The more I know that they're in terror, that they're not, they're not okay and that, they def- and that if they're not right, uh, life will somehow abandon them. Right. And that issue, the abandonment stuff, I'm telling you, whether it's in the fairy work or whether it's in the... Uh, the root work, the conjure work, that's the whopper. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the big one. And you know what? That drives my compassion, too. Like, if you hear my heartfulness in the books, it's because of my compassion. It's because all of us suffer from that. So we can afford to be compassionate, you know. Yeah, fear of being abandoned is universal. Yeah. All right, well... We um, have been discussing Southern Conjure and a little bit of fairy stuff with Orion Foxwood, our guest. And, again, mm-hmm. some of these questions we're asking as if, because some of them 
will be listeners that don't know the first thing about it. So you did mention, you know, not our only ride around. And so my point would be, and I think someone may ask this question, so is was, say, the southern slave woman conjurer, did this person believe in reincarnation? That's funny that, that you know, reincarnation, when people talk about it, um, uh, usually what I ask them is I'll say, what do you mean? Do you mean that when you die, you leap from one body to another? Um, that would be the what do you, transmigration. You right. Know? Yeah, transmigration. Um, we have to, at least as I understand it, from conjure, from the fairy, from uh, the different you know paths I've often studied, we can't look at it as A, B, C. When we pass out of embodiment uh, to disembodiment, we're not necessarily confined to pass from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So we may pass into the next generation in our blood. We may pass into multiple places of life. You know, multiple, not not, not like go, okay, I'm Orion today and now I'm going to be Joe, tomorrow, you know, in this next life. Um, it may not be human. And what we have to do is step back relax and let our life force choose where it needs to go. Not, and it's not even just need. What I found when I look in the spirit world is our spirit doesn't go to what it needs. It goes to what delights it. It actually goes to what inspires it. It doesn't go to need. It doesn't go, oh, God, I have this uh, accounting book of checks and balances, and I need to go to the place that's going to balance my account that's not what our spirit does. Our spirit moves from our body and goes, huh, what delights me? What inspires me? What moves me into the next level of creativity? Because the nature of the, cre- of the creator is it's creative. Mm-hmm. And we're just pieces of the creator looking at itself and, and going, huh, what happens when I uh, genesify myself? <laughs> and it becomes... Janice, you know, and so Janice is that piece of of the spirit, you know, that's looking in a unique way at itself um, through the mirror of her experience. You know, she's walking a piece of the source through this world. Um, So do I think that these root workers thought of reincarnation? They didn't look at it this way. They didn't use that kind of, as my mama would say, highfalutin word, they looked at it more like transition is probably not something they shared. No, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> they looked at it more like their spirit passes into the every everywhere spirit. Their spirit passes, um, it expands, um, it opens, you know. When that when we die, our spirit opens out like a like a fan or like the feathers in a peacock's tail, you know, and then it moves it moves where it's drawn to move, you know. And I think we we have to work real hard to not try to make it too predictable, but instead to do our root work, do our spirit work, do our meditations, do the work that we do to bring a form of internal relaxation that allows us to trust our spirit and where our spirit chooses to go. You know, 
Because you're talking something that's older than our bodies, older than our minds, older than time itself. There's an essence in us that the root workers knew, that the seers knew, that is old as the stars we look at in the night sky. Yeah, and so it's in its human nature, and it's just like this with so many things, whether you're talking about, say, you're in a political argument, whatever it is, people want to categorize things and they want to intellectualize them and make, like you said, make rules for it so that it can make sense and seem safe from abandonment, perhaps, in their world. <laughs> well, you know, and abandonment's a funny thing. It's sort of like when we say, I threw my trash away, right? Where's away? Yeah. What What yeah. other planet? What? What, what was the other solar system it went to? <laughs> <laughs> no, you threw your trash out of your sight. You shouldn't throw it away. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. So likewise, if we start to go, uh, what the root workers knew, what these spiritual people knew, what these people who lived very close to the old indigenous traditions knew, is spirit is not a part of everything. It is everything. It's not a part of it. It's everything. It's everything. Everything. You can't go anywhere where it's not. And so when we pass into spirit, what's that mean? Whoa. We've moved into the everything. And then we move where our heart, where our inner soul's heart takes us. And so if we can get to that place, if we can you know, do the clearing, the the cleansings, if we can do the prayer, if we can do the work to relax into that place within us, we can surf uh, the edges and the beauty of life the way a, I don't know, the way a surfer surfs a wave, you know. We can, we can move with it. We can be moved by it. Jeez. Okay. As y'all can tell, I'm a little pat. I'm a little passionate about this. Oh no, no, yes, <laughs> very good. It's okay. Denise and I were just trying to see who was, who was yeah, going to take turns just, asking yeah. questions. We're taking turns with the questions. <laughs> mentioned spirit since we began, so my basic question is, what is spirit for all those people out there who might not know what spirit is? And oh, I love that question. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it because I think that when we think of spirit and being spiritual, we think of something esoteric, something that is that transcends where we are. Um, but that's an illusion. Um, it interpenetrates where we are. Where we are is an expression of spirit when it embodies itself. Spirit, if you think of it as the essential essence of everything, as the creative um, rhythm, the creative light, uh, the creative intelligence uh, that not is um, that not caused everything, it actually is everything. So everything has and is spirit, everything, everything. So like when we start going, what does it mean for me to be a spiritual person? It means to look in the mirror and go, Huh. Um, I am a quality of spirit that has extended itself into creativity, into this form mode, into this physical life. Um, 
And obviously, for some reason, it, uh, I'm a, a quality, your quality of, of spirit, discovering, um, discovering itself, discovering what it does when it's in that creative mode. Um, so, what is spirit? Spirit is that that quality. Spirit is that that essence. That's uh, that everything not only partakes of, that everything is constantly sourced from. So to be spiritual is to unearth, to uncover uh, that essence inside of us and to begin to follow its guidance, to begin to get our brain to not think it's the master, because it's not. It's the servant. It's a servant, something that created it, something older, something really powerful, something that knows how universes operate, something that knows how all the ecosystems operate, something that is inside of everything. And see, our, our root workers, our spirit workers, they knew, because they came from age-old traditions, living close to the land, to the rhythms, to the cycles of life, they knew how to drop their spirit, drop, well, basically get their human mind to relax and relax into a rhythm that's under all of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, and, and then that part of it that is us, you know. And that reminds me too, because I go, um, sometimes to a Unitarian church. And, you know, some of those folks are either atheistic or what they might call humanitarian. Some are pagan, some are liberal Christians, whatever. But even in their philosophy, even amongst the atheists, they do say something that I always found interesting and valuable. Is they say God is found in how we interact with each other. You know, it's not something, you know, the big guy upstairs, big, big guy, yeah. way up on high way kind on. of stuff. <laughs> way up there. <laughs> So far, we can't. Well, way up is, you know. So, I think that way up on. Way up there. That it's so way up there that we can't touch. Which is why that you know there is a division, let's say, between pagans and Christians. Because, in my opinion, uh, Christians think God is so far away that you can't touch God, but you but you can communicate through prayer, which. Or to the priest. <laughs> or, or, or to the middleman, which is the priest. And where pagans is, God is as close as our breath, which is the way I feel. That it's close to our breath, and we oh we need we need the breath to to stay alive with. So we need God to be alive, and that's why there's such a big difference uh, between pagan and Christian. Let's say. Right. There are certainly similarities, certainly things that separate them as well. Well, certainly the concept of, you know, where is way up there? You know, up there is a a funny illusion. You know, we look at space and we go, wow, it's up there. But that's only because of gravity that we think it's up there. Because the truth is Earth and everything on it is made out of space and starlight. You know, uh, as it shifts itself into different, you know, chemical structures and stuff. But we're there's really just space and starlight. There is no up there, down there, ultimately. There's just there. 
And if we can relax out of that, we can move into a, a life that is animated by holiness. We don't actually have to search for holiness. We have to allow holiness and sacred to arrive. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to, into our awareness, you know. And that takes me to another point, which is a quote that I really like. I don't even remember who said it now. Forgive me. <laughs> but basically, it's on the, the quantum mechanical idea that all atoms, or even just the, in physics, not even quantum physics, but uh, all atoms are moving all the time. It's a moving universe. Even that table that looks solid is moving. And the atoms spin, the electrons spin around the protons and neutrons because the other ones spin. They have a, they have a dependent relationship. So I heard one quantum physicist say it's a social universe. Mm. All of the rest of each other. To, to live, basically. Like we all need each other to live, maybe not so much in a... Um, people you don't know, but everything is interconnected. Right. Yeah. Even if it works yeah. and it feels separate, or even Orion when he's up there in Tampa, all nice and warm, and we're <laughs> up I'm here in the. You know, making our knees hurt. I. Uh... <laughs> you just have to teach us to talk to our knees because my knee is really shouting to me at this point. So. Oh, I feel you, sister. I feel you. When I left Maryland, I was uh, I kept telling folks I had the Tin Man syndrome, like the Tin Man from Wizard yeah. of Oz. <laughs> so, um, but you know, when for the root worker, for the the conjure worker, um, in the South, when people, well, and and, and again in these country, uh, rural settings, that which is the kind I came out of, um. When people came with a, a malady, when they came with a problem, really whether that problem was, you know, I'm having a hard time getting a lover, I'm having a hard time with a job, I'm having a hard time with health, you know, court, whatever. Really what they were saying was my spirit and the rhythm of my life relative to my spirit is painful. It's in dissonance. It's not... It's not moving in a direction that is fulfilling or happy. And so a good root worker would say, well, let's first look at what's operating on and in your spirit. You know, let's look at your relationship to your spirit, which is where the baths and where the cleansings and where all these things come in. To Say, well, let's look at what's operating on your spirit. Let's look at what's in it. Let's look at how you... Uh, you know, how you are calling the spiritual forces of life itself. And what that's what I like about the country work. That's what I like about the folk work. The folk work says, you know what? Bottom line, life is sucking right there, and it's not doing so good, and there's not a mm, clear natural reason, so let's look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. And let's look at how to doctor that, you know, that, that relationship, that's how to doctor the spiritual uh, essence uh, and doctor the virtues of your spirit. And that's where the cleansings and the baths and the uh, mojos and everything comes in, is how to help that. You know. Uh, Remember that a lot of these folks were called... Oh, I'm sorry. What was that there? I didn't hear. 
Oh, sorry. Can you give us a basic spiritual bath recipe? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the easiest one is just uh, uh, coffee, like really strong coffee um, uh, with some salt um, and some lemon juice. Um, and if you mix those three together um, into like a, you know, a nice maybe half jug or you know quarter jug and fill the rest with water and then put a cup of that in your bath water and then when you get in, do what we call the scissor cut, which is like um, if you put your right hand over your left hand and then move your right hand and move your left hand, you'll see they fly from each other like a scissor. And so uh, you would take that water in your bath you know, put the, the stuff you mix, put it in your bath, um, get into the bath, pray. The thing that's real important is to pray or to charm or to call to the spirit in these things uh, to work with you and to call to spirit, God, goddess, however, you know, you pull the sacred to you, is to draw that, to call that, in to, to, to work through the stuff that's in your bath to clear you. Like, my next-door neighbors say, when I'm doing a cleansing bath, it sounds like there's like a tent revival going on in my bathroom. Because mm-hmm. I'm in there, I call upon the holy and formless fire that abides in the depths of the universe. I call upon the Holy Spirit to work through, you know, these uh, items through this bath and to remove from me that which binds, that which girdles my soul, that which is harming me. Um, and then... Uh, when you get out of a bath, when you do a bath like that, so, of course, when you're cleansing, you want to wash down, head down to toe, head down to toe. Um, When you get out of a bath, that's a cleansing bath, then you want to step out backwards, like looking at the water, you know, and back out, and then do an X across between you and that water, and, you know, I I close the door between thee and me, you know, um, those uh, influences, you know, that you want to go to have go away. <clears throat> the other thing is that I tell folks if they do a cleansing bath, using that again, it's you know, coffee, some lemon juice, and salt. I mean, that's really simple. Um, Very simple. Try to do it. Oh yeah, try to do it. Try to get into the bath when the clock, when the um, minute hand on the clock is falling. Like uh, I'll just make up a time. Like. Um, two after three, you know. So the minute hand is starting to drop so that when you get out of your bath, you want to get out at like 3.31, 3.32, right, when it's starting to rise up. You know, that's called fixing. So you're fixing your magical work to a event that already has power. And, And so our lives are very regulated by the cloth I mean, I'm sorry, the clock. So the clock has power. Mm-hmm. And so that's a way to use the power of the clock to work in your behalf. And then when you get out, maybe take a cup of that water and throw it at the setting sun. So now you've fixed your cleansing, your uncrossing to the setting sun, the pull-down energy of the setting sun, so that every day when the setting sun is happening, it continues to grow uh, the spell pulling this off. If you can't do it at the setting sun, then you just take that same little cup of that bath water and find yourself a rotting stump. 
um, like a cut-down tree mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. throw it at the stump because the stump has has takedown spirit. It's pulling it down. The thing about conjure and, and, and that I love, the thing about I love about folk magic is it's usually not very esoteric. It's usually working with spiritual forces that are already occurring. Like you'll never hear a folk worker say visualize. You know, you'll never hear that. What they'll say is do this at this time or do this pulling these spiritual forces in, you know, praying in, whether it's the Trinity or the goddess, you know, whatever tradition you come from. Um, but reach and twang the, the, the web, pull down, draw down the spirit into what you do. Hold that, like com- continue to pray, continue to charm, continue to chant while you're doing your work to hold the alignment to hold the flow of spirit into what you're doing and then fix it to something that's naturally going on and then let that continue to carry your magic. And I, I love yeah. the idea of you know it's something that's reliable, it's something that happens every day, meaning the setting sun. Yeah. So you want you know what? I threw the I threw that water out with the setting sun. So every time you see the setting sun, even if you're not throwing the water at it anymore, it's reminding you that oh that's that's going away, that's going down, or it's being you know it's being you know taken care Absolutely. of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And what power? What harmful thing can be stronger than the sun? <laughs> you know, that's the other thing I love. I go. Huh, once I've fixed that, once I've started to you know, merge the spirit of me and the spirit of this work and the spirit of that together, then um, what force in the human mind could tear that asunder? It's so simple. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a complimentary Thank way, you. when Thank I you. say simple, I mean that in a very much in yeah. a complimentary way. That yeah. There are some yeah. things that they'll work for you because there's something that you follow, like you said, the clock anyway. So you might as well use that force for something productive. So I love those concepts in folk magic. Yeah. yeah I love, I have to tell you, I, I mean, I've done ritual magic. I've done, uh, but it always brought me back to my roots. Because what I found was ritual magic is beautiful, and it is so beautiful. And it right. is uh, connected to elevated states of consciousness. But um, if you're, uh, you have limited resources and you're, you know, you're poor, you know, folks who didn't have, they didn't have the, uh, you know, this kind of resources to, Giant to do that. Giant black mirror stare into in, 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 the, in the big temple that's all closed off with, you know, beautiful right. the pretty gowns and all that. No. Right. Yeah, not so much. Not so, yet you would see I'm telling y'all, y'all, I have seen root workers, I've seen hoodoos, I've seen conjure workers in, in the, whether it's in the back streets of New Orleans where I'm at a lot, or whether it's in the mountains, the Blue Ridge or the Smokies. I've seen these folks do work that make you shiver. You're sitting there going, holy heck, they can, you know, some of them can barely write you know, some of them are barely literate, but they can pull that power. They can pull that spirit, and they can make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I've seen things that you go, 
Okay. Okay, spiritual and magical work is not about, it's not about academic knowledge. It's no. about spiritual access. Mm-mm. And it is, again, the human condition, especially for those who are learned people who sometimes have an interest in the occult. Many of the people I know that have an interest in occult magic uh, of all kinds, metaphysical, are actually some fairly well-read, mm-hmm. educated, highly intellectual people, even if they're poor. It just seems to draw book readers and bookworms and things like that. Right. So they want to think that they can find an equation in their mind that makes it work. And I do think that sometimes they forget that it's the feeling that makes it work. It's generating the energy raising, the feeling, the associations, like you talked about the sun and the clock. Mm-hmm. It's like you cry for this freaking thing. You know what I mean? That's what really gets you. Oh, you know? yeah. I would tell you, know, one way I, I talk about it, I say, you know, thoughts, is like if you go fishing, like thoughts is how you cast your reel out, right? Or you cast your uh, your line. Um, but feelings are how you reel it in. Yeah. So you can think, change your thoughts all you want, but if your feelings don't change, it's you know, yeah. it's nothing's going to really change. Magic is, you know, I. The the further I've grown in both um, conjure and fairy work, the more I've come to know magic is actually primarily simple. It's very simple in terms of how it works. Um, and if we want a really good teacher about how does the manifest come from the unmanifest, watch nature. It's mm. the pro. It's the pro. There's no math we can come up There's no with. There's no uh, ritual we can come up with. There's nothing that can ever do it better than what's been doing it for millions, even billions of years. It's just, oof. yeah. And one great quote relating to that reminds uh-huh. me, I believe it was from, there was a, uh, an English abolitionist who believed in ending the slave trade. There was a movie about him a few years back. His name was William Wilberforce. And he had an interesting take on it, on it in ending English involvement. He did it through really boring legislation, like kind of really <laughs> subtle stuff, but I won't go into that now. He didn't do it waving his fist in the air. He almost like lulled him to sleep and, wait a minute, we don't have the slave trade anymore. He was very clever in that way. And he pulled some clever tricks. But aside from that for now, but there was, I think it was his quote when he said, if you don't believe in God, and we could also say magic in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't believe in God, uh-huh. watch a spider make a web. Just watch, just watch a spider make a web, and you'll believe in something beyond just... Isn't that powerful? Yes. That's so powerful. Great wisdom. You know, great wisdom there. You know. Um, yeah, wow. Wow, thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Now, can you do this coffee bath in the shower? Because you know there's some people like me who prefer showers to baths. You can. The the traditional stuff was, of course, you know, a bath because that's what they had. Mostly it was. In fact, it wasn't even always the big, you know, tubs. It was like the those big pans, you know. Um, yeah. But, I'm yeah, sure. yeah, what I do um, is I'll pour it over me in the bath. Mm-hmm. You know, I may have. Um, you know, and the other thing too, uh, Janice, I think when people, 
a, a, a big part of this kind of magical work is to understand that when you're working with, say, the water or the coffee or you're working with herbs or you're working with whatever things you're working with in your magic, whether it's, you know, in the bath or in the mojos, making mojos or whatever, you're working with the spirit. So, like, when I get into the bath, if I want to be cleared, I can't come in as a subject to water an object and and then expect something to happen. I have to come in and greet the water as subject to subject. So I'm coming in as a person to the water, another person. Mm -hmm. The water is a spiritual force that, in fact, the water doesn't need me to live, but I need it to live. So I'm pretty clear when I get into the shower, I'm stepping into a power that is way more potent than me. So I come in and I greet the water, and, and there's an old practice where you tap things. You, like, tap it and go, you know, awaken unto life. Aha, I honor you, spirit of the water. Remember your power. Uh, remember your power to cleanse me, to clear me. And you speak to the water that's flowing through as a, a sacred spirit, as a, as a powerful being. And then... And then you raise up if you're if you're in the shower and you have this you know the cup of the the mix of you know lemon and um, um, uh, you know coffee and salt and you raise it up you ask the the spirit of the water work through this work through this you ask the spirit of all things work through this water work through this you know coffee and you merge them and you spill that on you and you cleanse yourself down and you do the scissor cut there's no reason why that bath won't still work. You know, mm-hmm. now of course you won't be able to, you know, take a cup of it. That'll that'll be a little bit harder, um, you know, to take it out and fix it to something else. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that's a big chunk of what to me makes the kind of folk magic that I know mm-hmm. work is that you're working with the spirit that's inside of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like if if we were making a, a charm bag, a, a mojo, or a you know, what we call hand, um, I would be teaching folks, all right, there's the cleansing of it, but each item that's going in there, you've got to knock on it, you've got to honor it. So the knocking is to knock at the door of spirit. So two forms, but that root, this human person, and I'm knocking at the door and saying, spirit that's in this, awaken unto life, remember your power. Ha, I honor you, I honor you, and I call to you, I, uh to release from the memory of your spirit the power of whatever's in it, and then that goes into my mojo. Um, the, to me, the key to this work is in the spirit connection. You know, it's it's in moving yourself into that, to use the quantum stuff you saw that earlier, moving yourself into the field. In fact, I jokingly, when I'm when I'm out lecturing, I tell people, and it's just kind of a fun thing. I'll say, "Oh, I'm just a field worker," mm. and they'll they'll be like, "Oh, that's cute." I'm like, um, "No, I wouldn't call it cute. I'm talking about the quantum field. I'm a field worker. You know, uh, that's what I do. Is I, I work in that field, um, and I like the language that quantum physics brings us. I, I'm excited about it." It's interesting because it's it's like science catching up with with magic or with alchemists or with even folk magic or whatever you want to say. But it's catching. It's like science yeah. uniting itself with those with, things yes. of being an art and a science. You know. 
It really is. And it's exciting to watch it, you know. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And more and more, in fact, just to put my fairy seer hat on, you know, that's the thing that I, you know, tour a lot and teach about. And I often have astrophysicists or biochemists. I have a lot of scientists that come in. And they'll sit down and, you know, they're listening to me teach. And they'll say, Orion, do you, I mean, have you studied the sciences? Have you studied astrophysics? And I'm like, no. They're like, you're you're saying it. How did you know that? I said, well, let me tell you something. If you follow the folk practices, if you, and even that, if you just stop and sort of relax into and touch the spirit in all things, it will tell you what you're just now discovering. That's how the Egyptians knew these things. That's how yeah. the Druids knew these things. Um, they didn't figure anything out. They just tapped in and they and they listened. Now, the big difference between the mystic, the, the witch, the root worker, the conjure person, you know, the, all the, the words, and the scientists is the scientist still doesn't understand consciousness. They don't understand that all of this is alive and awake. Mm-hmm. That it's not. That's the part that once they get that, once they get the fact that all of it knows what it's doing, it's not haphazard. And it's got a, in fact, uh, our nervous systems aren't the birth of consciousness. In fact, it's a playground for it. Mm. You know, it's just the, it's when consciousness like goes, huh. Yeah. So, I was just saying, it's a way for consciousness to help experience things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think when science can mm, comp- be relaxed in that knowing and move into that, we're going to be able to fix so many things we've broken. That's just, you know, my thought. I think I, I can't wait. I hope I'm alive. Well, at least I should say I'm, I hope I'm embodied alive. Joel Orion that. Oxford. Yes, I'm alive. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, now, Orion, clearly, and it's been going so smoothly, you've been an amazing guest. I've really been interested in what you've said because, honestly, Conjure is not one of my expertise. I've studied the occult all my life, but it's, mostly been meditation techniques and my own sort of other things I've studied. Like everybody comes to these, this dance from different angles, right? As well as, yeah, um, and other things. Um, and meditation, of course, meditation techniques is what first interested me because of, um, out of body experiences that I had as a young person, which I think brings a lot of people to, to this dance. And they were very, powerful and so I just started studying like meditation techniques to help encourage them more once I was no longer afraid of them I, I um, was like oh gosh I want this to happen again you know so a long story short is clearly we've covered a lot on Southern Conjure and didn't get too much to the fairy stuff but I would say we just keep going in this direction for the remainder of the show because there's a few minutes left and I think we'll just keep going in the Southern Conjure direction uh, one thing that I wanted to bring about, because this, this comes up in, in, in this community, um, that, or at least that I see a lot of debates. I want to know about if someone says, okay, I'm really interested in Southern Conjure, does it evolve a certain 
pantheon, or is there certain things or certain uh, powers not to call upon? You know, there's, ah, there's a lot. I do of, have that question. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of I hear in the both voodoo, vodan, hoodoo, you know, all those. The dark side. Yeah, the dark side. So I'm wondering maybe your opinion on, on, on that. Maybe something to be very careful before you go messing with it, kind of stuff. Well, okay. I'm thinking about this a minute. Um, if I talk like seriously traditional backwoods workers, <laughs> they called them whatever worked. <laughs> they called right, them okay. whatever worked. But they would, but it, but they would advise. They say always know that whatever you conjure conjures you. So before you step into a, you know, and so if we break that down a little bit more country, if we lay down with dogs, we'll wake up with fleas. So what I tell folks when they're studying magic, uh, and, and, and especially conjure, because it's so, like, gut, it's so in the gut, it's so rooted, is I say um, work with clean spirits. I mean, work with spirits. Cl- well, first, claim your spirit. Um, take sovereignty over your spirit, cleanse your spirit, feed your spirit, grow your spirit, know your spirit. Then decide um, that, you know, what kinds, you know, you're going to have to grow yourself morally too. You know, what kinds of spirits you want to relate to. Like you can go to the crossroads and relate to the dark rider at the crossroads, which I do. I love him. And he's anything but a dark force. He can be tricky because he makes you look at yourself. He makes you you know, look at why you really want to come to the crossroads, why, what you really want, what you're, you know, what you're saying and what you're meaning, you know. But don't necessarily tap the darker, you know, the, the, I mean, there's spirit forces that, you know, like if you go into the woods, there's things that want to eat you. Ticks, it might be bears, it might be a wolf. It's not because of your sun sign. It's not because of what you're wearing. It's not personal. It's just that's the nature of that being as it eats, you know. In the spirit world, it's the same thing. There, There's unseen company, there's unseen forces that, you know, we're food, you know. we're. So I tell people, uh, grow their discernment, you know. Don't go out there and get all silly and go, I'm call up the devil and I'm going to, you know, work with those kind of forces because you can get those forces if you want them. I mean, they're there. There's bad neighborhoods in the spirit world, just like there's bad neighborhoods in the physical world. Um, but the problem is, once you start developing a relationship with these beings, you know, they they got their own nature. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, that's that's how I do it. Like, people ask all the time about the whole devil and demon thing. And they say, Ryan, what do you think about it? And I say, well... I don't know that I believe in the devil quite the way people do. Do I believe in that there are parasitic spiritual beings that will eat us, that that um, will um, lock into the parasitic forces that are already in us, you know, like greed and fury and, you know, the things that can break us apart and tear us down? Absolutely. But... I also know that a tick knows how to drill into our, our, uh, you know, our veins and get blood. It's not evil. It's just that's what it eats. <laughs> that's the, the question. Yeah, it's not personal. And I have a really good time. <laughs> and when I tell people that, they're like, what? I said, there's not something out there that personally wants to eat your soul in a cracker. 
but there are spirit forces that that want to eat you, but it's not personal. <laughs> it's really not personal. You know, it's 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 no more personal than there's things that will bite you in the woods. You know, it's or eat you in the woods. It's no more personal. Um, and I think if we can come from that direction and get in and gender um, discernment. And the wonderful thing about the spirit world, like in the physical world, people can fool us. Like they can, if you're encountering someone who really knows how to manipulate their energy and, you know, their affect like a, you know, like a good actor, um, they can fool us. But in the spirit world, um, it's harder actually to fool us. Because if we listen to our gut and if we have some position ethically that we've taken in life, then we can feel when something's rubbing against our ethics and we get, mm, you know what? I don't think so. I'll pass. Thanks. I'm good. <laughs> sort of like the tingling feeling when you know you're not supposed to have a tingling feeling. So Exactly. Or because yep. when I had that conversation on there's Facebook, good, there's a good tingling feeling too. Yeah, there's a bad tingling feeling. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a good one too, and that is how do we know that we start to grow the difference between something is dangerous and bad for us, and something is powerful and dangerous. They're not the same. God is powerful and dangerous. God really is. If you don't believe me, look at a Nova star, a star that Nova's. God can be dangerous, but God's not evil. God, tsunami or or a force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not evil. So, uh, like, I think people confuse awe and fear a lot, and so there's times where I can feel the overwhelming power of this force we call God, Goddess, all that is, Great Spirit. And it scares me, not because it's evil, because it's powerful. And I go, okay, stay in your lane, Ryan. You know, stay in your lane and know that you can call upon this, but that you are not that. You're definitely not that. Um, you're a part of it. You're an aspect of that. And so it's, it's really about discernment. And, yeah, there, there definitely are, I mean, there are definitely rules um, and I have been doing this long enough to see what happens to people who don't grow discernment and who form relationships with spirits that give them everything they want, even at the harm of others. But then after a while, the spirit goes, you know what, you look kind of tasty. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, would you call them a haint? Because my mom used to say haint. <laughs> yes, haint. absolutely. Yes, Okay. Janice, now where's where's your mom from? What what area? Where's she from? Roxabelle, North Carolina. Of course, she, so she would have known about paint. Paint paint, paint yes. is yep the blue paint that you would paint around your like front door, your windows, your stoop to keep the bad spirits away. Yeah. Yeah. Now that what your mom is talking about, that's uh that's definitely southern root work and conjure. That's definitely. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's well, in your blood. We have uh, about six or so minutes left. Yeah. So at this point, <laughs> I want to have you plug anything you'd like to promote. And, and by the way, your your website and your information is linked directly to this show page. 
Oh, great. Great. Thank you. So just go ahead and plug whatever you'd like to plug. Well, I have, um, you know, the, uh, oh, God, uh, I have ContraCon coming up in Santa Cruz, California, and that's over the weekend of April 11th, teaching seven root work and conjure and some, uh, you know, which old witchcraft practices. Then there is, and, oh, my God, my brain's shutting down, uh, Janice, you just mentioned earlier, the, yeah, Sacred Space Conference, and that's coming up um, the uh, March 13th through the 16th in Laurel, and I'm going to be teaching some stuff on working with the crossroads spirit, some some stuff on core practices and southern root work and conjure, and, and I'm going to be on a panel with two other, uh, Byron Ballard and Linda Ours-Rago, two other wonderful Appalachian workers. We're going to do a panel and talk about some of that root work. And I'm going to do a ritual there on con- called the Consecration of the Sacred Blood, which is about consecrate- consecrating our bodies as the temple of ancestral wisdom. So I'm really excited about that. So that's a couple of things going on. Um, right. And then I'm on a lot of blog talks, you know, uh, Conjure, Conjure Crossroads blog talk and Old South Conjure blog talk. So if you Google that, you'll see. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I am um, missing sacred space this year, so you have to send my best regards to everybody. I will. They're lovely people. Yes, they are. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on tonight, y'all, and um, I'm sure we could have kept going. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we could have kept going, oh, too. Kept going. <laughs> and I need to earn me You're some both of that magic because I am a guitar player, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh-oh, some Robert Johnson work. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Orion. Thank you. And Orion's books are, a couple of them are, right here, Tree of Enchantment, and, of course, the candle on the crossroads, yes. As well as he does one on fairy seership as well. I haven't read that one, and I'm not sure what's the full title of that one, Orion. Uh, that one's called the fairy teachings. Both the uh, tree of enchantment and the fairy teachings are both on fairy folkloric and uh, fairy seership work. So maybe uh, yeah. at some point you come back again on Main Street Universe with us, and we talk very specifically about fairies. We're going to do a little both tonight, but I think I'll re package the even though this is live yes but when i you know redo the archive i might <laughs> focus on the southern conjure and the and the but i didn't know we, we were going to all get along so well so <laughs> we just kept talking about it so. Some interviews well yeah good. both of you are wonderful yeah. both of you are lovely well, I told You're Daniel that we've known each other for years but we couldn't figure out how long yet so but i know it's, it's been, been a long, long time it's a long, it's a long time. time what a what a joy to be reconnected again. Yes. Absolutely. We're going to go ahead and sign out here. And before we do, I'll end with, well, from his Tree of Enchantment book where I started. A fierce unrest seized at the core of all things, existing things. It was the eager wish to soar that gave the god their wings. You've been listening to Main Street Universe with Orion Foxwood. Have a great evening, everyone. Have a great evening, everyone. Many blessings. Be blessed. Be blessed. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here 
on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.